Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 88, Dark Dungeons and Lingering Pain. Recorded Thursday, June 16th of 2016, with your hosts, Grant, Peter, and Chris. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Chris. So we've got Chris Odie. Is it Reverend Chris Odie or just Chris Odie? Uh, yeah, I am an ordained Lutheran minister. Okay, there we go. Reverend Chris Odie. We've got it right the first time around. Totally. <laughs> hey, we finally nailed down the rest of the main line. Hooray! Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself, why you're famous on the internet, and why you're awesome. Oh, wow. Okay, if you put it that way. Uh, so I am a Lutheran pastor out in Seattle, Washington, or just right next door to it. And as far as the internet is concerned, I am also a regular contributor, actor, producer, and all around doing stuff uh, for Zombie Orpheus Entertainment and uh, sometimes Dead Gentleman Productions, uh, the companies who helped create The Gamers, uh, Journey Quest, uh, human, what I want to say, House Rules, Dark Dungeons, and our newest project, Attacking the Darkness. Awesome. I have seen some of that. Not very much, <laughs> I admit. Uh, gamers, the originals, actually my favorite of the gamer series appeals to my sense of humor. Go figure. Oh, I totally understand. Uh, Peter, have you seen any of them? No, once again, I am behind on awesome media. <sighs> okay. Well, you should make time to see at least the gamer series. Cause it's really funny and it mocks everything mockable about D and D in a perfect way. Oh, thank you. It's really good. I, I enjoyed it. My wife and I still make jokes about piles of bards. Ha. <laughs> All right. So tell us a little bit about zombie Orpheus entertainment. Like aside from the movies, well, uh, maybe people who are listening to this aren't familiar with what you guys do. Tell us what all of these movies are about. Okay, so uh, Zombie Orpheus Entertainment is an independent film company, um, nominally headquartered in Seattle, but we have people who live up and down the Puget Sound belt, and uh, now our GM, uh, not our GM, but our GM, Ben Dobbins, is moving to Canada, so we'll be expanding even further, so to speak. You're um, multinational. I know. We can claim that now. But uh, we do a lot of, you could say, geek-friendly cinema. Um, it began as a group of friends in college. Um, most of us, at least the early group, were all students at... Pacific Lutheran University uh, out in Tacoma, Washington, all kind of overlapping with each other. And um, while there, people realized there was kind of a, um, a love of, of cinema, a camaraderie around RPGs and such. And from there began a, uh, some students' films and then the original, the original, the original, The Gamers, which was a 48-minute short shot on a budget of 500 bucks. Um, that was somehow picked up and noticed by people at uh, Wizards of the Coast, which uh, at the time was still independent and is based in the Northwest. And so um, they, <laughs> the people there really enjoyed it and started sharing it amongst themselves. And from there, it kind of spread throughout the, the geek universe in the, you know, kind of, I won't say early days of the internet, but the, the early aughts, at least. Early um, days of Web 2.0. Yeah, yeah. It was, I think, 2002 two or so, uh, 2003, when Monty Cook um, posted a really positive review of the film and promoted it on his website. Mm -hmm. And um, and that led to us getting to know folks at WOTC, getting them involved, so that when we did the second film, uh, Darkness Rising, uh, we, we used the WOTC offices, we had the official third edition, or 3.5, uh, PHB in the film. Mm -hmm. um, several WOTC designers showed up, Monty Cook, Sean Reynolds, you know, we've, we've worked with a lot of them and, and, and such, and um, really, really had a, a blast with it, frankly. Um, and then since then, we've developed these other projects like Journey Quest and House Rules and Dark Dungeons, Attacking the Darkness. And, you know, most of the stuff we do is comedy, pretty much always with some sort of geeky touch to it. We've done a lot of shorts and sketches that you can find on YouTube. Um, we have a tendency to release our stuff for free with the hope that the fans will then repay us by um, supporting us on kickstarting the next project. 
we do charge for physical media, things like that. We do, you know, uh, make a little bit of money off of digital sales and such. But, but for the most part, the goal has really always been to try and develop a, a community um, with the fans and, and to build things collaboratively uh, that way. So it's, it's been a really fun adventure. Um, and as someone who doesn't have to make his total living at it, it's, it's less stressful that way. <laughs> yes, I understand that. I, I'm really curious how your position as a pastor plays into that. So I, I, I admit I'm cheating a little bit here because I listened to the Game Store Profits bonus content episode that they did with you. So I kind of have an idea of what you're going to say, but I'm really curious how that pastoral work has tied into this. Well, it, it's tied in directly and indirectly. Um, a really obvious example would be um, when we shot Dark Dungeons, um, I was brought in as a consultant and a producer on the project to ensure that we uh, stayed as true to the Jack Chick, uh, Jack Chick theology and worldview as possible. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, with our contract with them, it was, it, which was free, by the way, we had the rights to do it for free. Uh, they mm. did not, they did not make any money off of that film. Um, I like to let people know that for no particular reason. And, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it but, is interesting to note whether or not, you know, people always want to know where's the money. In correct. And in, in, in this, in this case, any money that is uh, raised by uh, sales of the Dark Dungeons DVD is uh, split. I don't know the exact ratio, but uh, percentage goes to uh, J.R. Rawls and his production company. He was the man who actually got the rights to do the film uh, in the first place. And, and like I said, got them for free. Um, but the stipulation was to do it, it had to be a straight uh, film. It could not be a satire. It could not be, you know, any kind of parody or something. It needed to be a, a serious take on the film. Um, and so my role then was to make sure that we stayed as true to that theology as possible. And candidly, from from my own theological point of view, I can't pretend that I agree with him on much of anything. But I did think that by keeping it straight, I think it made a more watchable film. And I'll leave my statement at that. And leave that to yeah <laughs> okay it, no it's 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 uh yeah it's a, it's a fun project i'm glad we did it but awesome. but yeah so so that would be an example of where it where it has shown up um at the hmm. same time um then on an earlier project honestly it, it has shown up in a totally different direction when we one of our most popular series is is uh, journey quest which is a um, a comedy web series about a, a very pathetic group of adventurers in particular a very pathetic wizard um, the others in his party are actually pretty competent. But the first day of the first season, uh, the first day of the first, the first day of shooting for the first season of that show um, was actually intended to be shot out in Warrenton, Oregon, which is out on the Oregon coast. And at the time, I was serving a very small fishing village um, across the Columbia River in Washington, in Chinook, Washington. And um, I, my wife and I were contracted to, to cater the shoot. Um, and to house some of the cast and crew because we were friends with them and we were out there and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, on the first day of the shoot, everyone's there. They got there the day before. They're all ready. Uh, they, they head out to the park where they're going to sh- go. Everything's going. And then I get this phone call, um, you know, just within a couple hours. And the, the prop master had had a heart attack and had died um, oh, no. on set before shooting even began. Um, and it was, it was horrible. Um, to, to put it mildly. And suddenly I went from being the, the kind of host and caterer to um, pastoral counselor. Um, yeah. And so then all of a sudden, you know, I, I, th- that really changed my relationship with a lot of people in the company, honestly, that day. It was the first day that a lot of them had ever seen me in that capacity. You know, we had worked together on film stuff. I had done some bit parts and shows. I'd done some, you know, a little bit of writing or such. Um, we had had an improv comedy troupe back in the early 2000s that I was a, a performer with that for several years. And um, and now we have another one. I'm a performer, a manager with that. But that was really the first time for a lot of folks that they saw that side of me and, and you know, what what I do, I guess you could say. And um, so that was another time when, when having a pastor in the company was actually really uh, unexpectedly useful. I, I'm curious, did um, did your previous experience with those folks and other roles make that transition easier or more difficult? Uh, a little of each, you know, I think it was, no, I wouldn't even say a little of each. I think it made it, I think it made it easier. 
I mean, for me, it did. I don't know. I, I think I'm one of those pastors who, who, pastors who tries to be fairly authentically himself as a pastor. Right. Um, I don't try to wear the collar as some sort of, not to minimize it, I'm, I'm not trying to minimize the role, but I, I don't know how to be anyone other than myself. And, and to try and compartmentalize myself that, well, now, now I'm a pastor. Well, now now I'm just a regular person. Um, I, I tend to let the things kind of bleed back and forth, uh, as, as it were. And so I, I think for a lot of the folks there, um, it was a pretty natural transition. Honestly, for a couple of the folks who were there, I won't embarrass them by saying their names, but but there's a couple of people in the company who 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 didn't we didn't know each other well, but our relationship really b- b- was founded that day um mm. you know and um well i what the heck you know like i, I will say uh, like like christian doyle for example who's one of our more commonly familiarly used actors he's he's one of the the leads in the gamers and journey quest other projects we've done he uh he directed attacking the darkness he uh, directed the third season of journey quest and christian and i did not know each other very well um, before that, but but th- that was really where our friendship really got solidified was, was was during that, and it was it was an honor to be there for people in that capacity. Um, I won't pretend that it was you know a good day. It certainly wasn't. But, no. Um, no. But you know we tried to as you do we tried to make the best we could in the situation. Right. I, I despise the canned. Oh well, you know everything happens for a reason. Response. Oh yeah, I, to I, any oh, tragedy, it's yeah. awful. But I am glad that you were there that day. That thank you. That's you know that's kind of how I felt about it, and that's how several people put it to me. Was I, I really got a kick out of? Well, there was a guy who was there who um, who was good friends with a man who died. Uh, John uh, John Moore, I believe, was his name. The man who died. I actually. Huh, as we're recording this, I'm sitting in my office at the church, and I have a little a little space on my desk where I have all these little kind of artifacts from over the years, um, little things that just remind me of things when I look at it. So, like, you know, I've got my Martin Luther bobblehead and, um, like, a family photo from my wedding and, um, you know, a little thing of frankincense and myrrh in olive oil and things like that. One of the things I have on this is actually a, a little $1 plastic comb. Um, in, a, in its package. And, and the reason I have this is because uh, the man who died, John, had actually purchased this at the corner store next door to the parsonage uh, the night before he died. So it was just sitting there with his stuff afterwards, and it, and it got left behind. And so I decided I was going to kind of hold on to it as a reminder of that day. And uh, so every time I see this little, you know, stupid plastic comb, um, it's just kind of a a reminder to me of, of, of the, that moment and how things changed that day. But yeah, it, it, you know, it, I, I don't believe that God did that to him. I, I believe he had a bad heart and things happened, but I right. do, I do think that God was able to work through the situation to make some good. Yeah. I mean, as, as they say, everything happens for a reason, but sometimes the reason is that we live in a cosmos where there's cause and effect and sometimes you right. don't detect your medical problems until it's too late so right. yeah well thank you for sharing that yeah honestly. yeah yeah i haven't talked about that one much no i i understand why but it's it is good to hear about because peter and i are both laymen we often don't get stories of of actual ministry unless we have a guest on who oh gotcha is engaged in that so it's it's good to hear yeah yeah, this I won't, huh, I won't hit you with a thousand of them or something. But yeah, this little, I, I won't call it my altar, but whatever this thing is, this little you know stack of stuff, you know one of the one of the other things I have here is the, uh, it's the uh, the the funeral card from the the youngest funeral I've ever done, mm. uh, Nikayla Nikayla Nyberg, uh, four months old, and mm. uh, that was another one of those days where you're not you know. Not a good day. You, yeah, no. you know, you're glad yeah. that you're able to help someone, but it's uh, it can you be wish a hard you didn't job. Have to, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. That, that always hits close to home for me. My wife's oldest brother died at a couple months old, oh. and my daughter had heart surgery with the same problem oh. about nine days old. She obviously 
did just fine. Modern medical science is amazing. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah. <laughs> yes, there, there's a little open wound right there, you know, for oh, me. Yeah. So where it's just like, oh, yeah, gets me every time. Yeah. So I have no idea how to transition over to talking about attacking the darkness. I'm not going to lie. Uh, that's cool. I actually do that in sermons <laughs> sometimes where I'm just like, I don't know how to transition here. So we're just going <laughs> to. Yeah. Now, by the time this episode drops, Attacking the Darkness and its Kickstarter will already be over, unfortunately, I believe. Uh, when, when does that Kickstarter? Uh, July 1st. It'll be pretty close. You might have a couple of days. I will make sure to link it in the show notes just to be sure. But, cool. Uh, but tell us about Attacking the Darkness. So Attack in the Darkness, I, I apologize up front because I, I meant to send you guys a link to watch it, and I sent it very late, and so I understand totally that you did not have time, and that is 100% on me. Um, it's, I've been swamped lately anyway, so I'm kind of deficient yeah. <laughs> on this, regardless of any effort that you made, so I apologize for that. But Well, well, if you get a chance, do. So the idea behind it is it is a, it is a comedy about the making of an anti-RPG movie. It is not a comedy about the making of Dark Dungeons, the movie. I, I want to stipulate that. We, there's no IP, no intellectual property from the Dark Dungeons tract in this movie at all. Right, which I assume is partly due to your contract with... 100% legal reasons. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and also just it's more fun to have your own you know, world to play with. Of course. But, um, but that said, um, you know, the, the truth is we did actually shoot the movie... Um, unscripted during the making of Dark Dungeons the movie. Uh, so what we did is when we cast when we cast Dark Dungeons and when we hired the crew, we did so with the stipulation um, that we could uh, steal them at times and not really tell them what was going on and uh, play with them in character uh, as we created this other movie alongside it. I don't know if that made sense at all. Um, it's, uh, did that not make sense? No, it made uh, perfect it made, sense. We're just letting it made you total go. sense. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Um, I, I use a lot of visual cues, so it's hard for me to tell right now since I can't see you what your, you know, cues are. Um, yeah, for but, the uh, <laughs> benefit of the listeners, we actually, to save bandwidth and improve audio quality, we usually don't have video running when we record. So I don't think we've ever actually stated that explicitly on the mics. <laughs> I don't think we have either. Tell you what, I'll send you a gif of me just nodding sagely. Oh, thank you. That is, I, you know what? I just built what it in my head. I'm my good chin now. And doing much the same. No, this is good because your picture right now on Hangouts, you are scratching your chin. So I yep. can just look at that, and then I'm just going to look at Grant's picture and picture him nodding, and I'm good to go now. Yeah. Perfect. So, but yeah, it's it's a comedy. It's it's kind of this. The conceit of the film is that this couple, Brady and Harmony Hope Bryant, um, have decided to embark on the making of an anti-RPG movie uh, because of trauma in Harmony Hope's life related to RPGs and her brother. And um, so they have enlisted the help of their church, uh, Jupiter Ridge Ministries. And so they have obtained uh, a small amount of money from Jupiter Ridge. And one of the uh, assistant pastors at Jupiter Ridge has been assigned to uh, kind of oversee the production or at least help for, with it from a, a theological standpoint. And, uh, and so then these three who are totally out of their environment show up on set and basically cause chaos and, um, you know, just are unable to, they, they try to navigate the world of filmmaking while the world of filmmaking is trying to navigate around them. Right. And it should be stated that this is a kind of a mockumentary style. Yeah, it is done mockumentary style. We did it unscripted. The people who are in it are all people with an improv background. Um, so typically what we would do is basically say, okay, we're going to start at point A, we're going to get to point C, hit point B along the way, but how you do it is up to you. So, so basically what we did is we used Dark Dungeons, the movie, as a set. Like we, we use it as a set and background for Attacking the Darkness. We don't actually, like I said, we don't borrow anything in, in terms of creative content or intellectual property, nothing from Dark Dungeons is used in the film, but we used that opportunity to have an actual working movie set as our background, and then for our cast to play with and kind of play around on. I think you follow that. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, back in the old days of Hollywood and stuff, didn't they repurpose a lot of sets and shoot from different mm -hmm. angles to save money? Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much a time-honored tradition in the film industry. No, Absolutely. 
And so you have then the um, the Bryants trying their best to create this ultimate anti-RPG movie. You have the the frustrations of the director as he's trying to to keep them, you know, together and on point. You know, I don't want to give away too much, but for example, there's a there's a spot where one of the cast members. Uh, Harmony Hope decides that he's not saved, and so she fires him. And this is after several days of shooting have occurred, and so she replaces him with a church member who happens to be on site as a grip, which is someone who handles, like, moving stuff around. So this poor kid is now expected to both be in his crew role as a grip and also now in this role in the film, which he's never acted before. So this comedy that comes out of that, but then in terms of just the meta of making the movie, when we cast the role, we actually cast this kid or hired this kid as a grip on the other movie and as an actor in the other movie so that we would have behind the scenes footage of him doing both things. Nice. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And so, or or like in our movie, there is a character played by Lisa Coronado, who's this wonderful actress been on Z Nation and a bunch of other stuff. and um, she, My wife will probably recognize her then. She loves Z Nation. Yeah, she's great. And um, and Lisa plays the craft services uh, person for in Attacking the Darkness. That is the person who's responsible for kind of the between-meal snacks and stuff on set. Um, so she was also, though, working on set as the craft services person for the other film. So that as we're shooting both films... When she's not in character for Attack of the Darkness, we're still picking her up in character, so to speak, doing her job for the other film. So you managed to get a level of authenticity that a lot of filmmakers could only dream about by actually having these people do the thing that they're oh, acting yeah. is doing. Well, so like, so I play a, so I play that pastor. I I play the uh, pastor in um in Attack of the Darkness. I play Pastor Doug whose job on set is to be the religious consultant for the film being shot. At the same time, I was on set as the religious consultant and producer for the other film. So everyone is kind of wearing two, three, four hats at one time. Right. And that's purposeful rather than a... Oh, yes, very oh, deliberate. We, we well, have and no it budget sounds kind like of it's thing. multiple copies of the same hat in mm -hmm. some cases. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I, I know looking at the credits of any film, I know very little about filmmaking, but I can definitely tell, you know, first grip, second grip, there's, you know, there's multiple people. And so you're kind of just jumbling that around and getting comedy out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. No, it sounds great. And the title, I'm pretty sure, is a reference to the old I cast magic missile at the darkness. Correct. Theme. Yeah, I, I attack the darkness. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Well, that's really cool. Uh, I do think you'll have a couple of days on the Kickstarter for this. Cool. Uh, the trailer is hilarious, by the way. Thank so, you. So watch the trailer and... Definitely check it out. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this kind of as our main topic, but definitely take a look at that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with it. It's, it's a very funny film, and, uh, and I think we're in that kind of middle doldrums part when it comes to a Kickstarter, but I think we're going to be just fine on, on making, our, uh, making our goal. So Excellent. Very cool. Okay, uh, we have one little brief bit of news and notes before we get started on our scripture and our main topic. And that, that news is also crowdfunding related. Uh, we are officially on Patreon now. Oh, cool. So you can find us at stgcast.org slash Patreon. We've got a video and some frequently asked questions up there. Or, of course, you can go straight to Patreon, patreon.com slash saving the game. Watch our video explaining our goals and benefits and that sort of thing. And uh, once we start getting backers, if we do... I mean, let's let's be fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but once we do, we'll start fulfilling those goals and start having fun with that. So there cool. you go. And if you like us, uh, you know, take a minute to rate and review us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. We appreciate it, and it really does help us a lot. All right, let's uh, let's read our scripture here real quick because there's a couple pieces of scripture I think are relevant to this discussion that we're going to have about dark dungeons and the anti-D&D movement and scapegoating and a few other things. So let's get started with that. Uh, who wants to take this verse from Isaiah? Isaiah 44, 22. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. And the next one is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And our last one this week is Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. 
Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. So I wanted to talk with Reverend Odie about Dark Dungeons and yeah. kind of that, that anti-D&D movement that came up in the 80s, mostly, a little bit in the 70s, mostly 80s, a little bit in the 90s. I wanted to talk about that because I feel like that has had a much bigger impact on gaming culture than it has had on the church. I think that's very true. And I think in a lot of ways, it's still being felt 20, 30 years after some of this stuff. I mean, the the Dark Dungeons tract came out in 1984. It's had 32 years to be responded to, to be published, and to have an effect on gamers. Chris, let me ask you this. What's your gaming experience, tabletop in particular, and have you seen any of this this tension created by the this anti-D&D movement in your own gaming career? You know, honestly, I never saw the tension, and I, which in some ways surprises me just because I lived in the right time period for it. Mm-hmm. Um, my gaming as a kid was pretty limited uh, in terms of RPGs. I did a little bit, and by a little bit, I mean maybe one or two sessions um, of D&D in fourth, fifth grade, something like that. Um, I remember there was a Batman RPG that we played at recess a couple of times. Interesting. That's a lot earlier than most people, so that's interesting. Yeah, it. Uh, but but it was only the D&D thing, I think it really, it, I think it was once at a sleepover, and that was it. And then um, the, the Batman one was probably... Mm, maybe a week or two before we moved on to something else, and uh, and then I, I then I did nothing. Then I didn't really get into it until honestly it was after college. I knew the folks from Zombie Orpheus in college, but I wasn't their friend, and we didn't hang out together. And and honestly, I thought they were giant dorks, um, and uh, didn't realize that I was too, and uh, or or that I was you know so similar. And then we got to know each other. We you know did some other stuff together, and then. I was like, eh, they all seem to like this game. I like video games. Whatever. Sure, I'll try it. And uh, and I got hooked pretty easily. Like, I, I really enjoyed it, you know, the, the first mm-hmm. couple times that I tried playing it. I think I was more intimidated, actually, than anything else about how to, like, act. I thought I had to do more acting when it came to the RPG part of it. And, I mean, you know, you can, but it's not like you have to be, you know, Laurence Olivier or something. Right. As, as many a LARPer knows well. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, as far as the panic was concerned, you know, it never. Yeah, I, I you know I grew up in a in a fairly moderate Lutheran household, the Pacific Northwest. It just it was a pretty welcoming environment. I mean, it just wasn't. My folks never expressed any worries about it. Um, they never expressed any worries about video games. You know, which was really my my thing. So I've always kind of felt like I'm. Not like I missed out in some kind of bad way, but you know, especially you kind of dodged it. Yeah, well, especially since we released Dark Dungeons, there's been a few folks who there's some folks who really still have some scars from that, and I and I don't want to make light of that at all, or or you know minimize that at all. At, at the same time, I'm I'm sometimes a little surprised at just how little how little healing has been done in so many years. Um, you know, I I maybe even a little saddened kind of feels right. like after 30 some years that they're stuck and and i kind of wish mm-hmm. I, I i wish i knew how to help someone get unstuck right and that's kind of what i wanted to talk about that sense that the gaming community in general is kind of stuck with that baggage left over from the anti dnd anti rpg noise mm-hmm. I, I mean there were a, a couple of movements but in many ways it was just noise that came up kind of as part of the larger Satanist conspiracy, witchcraft conspiracy stuff that cropped up in the 80s. Right. But, you know, it hit us hard. And then I feel like we haven't dealt with that trauma collectively. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, that feeling was one of the things that led to us starting this podcast. That's true. I mean, and our what was our very first episode? It was an hour and a half explaining why RPGs weren't evil. Because we felt like that was the first thing we had to do. Yep. And I'm not sure if it's really, 
and, and I don't mean this as any sort of like commentary what you what you just said, but I, I wonder do you do you feel like do you feel like it's even necessary? You know, like 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 in hindsight, I mean, it, you know, not to I, I think it's a perfectly valid first episode or something, but in some ways, does any part of you kind of feel like, yeah, maybe the issue is maybe all on this side? Uh, we came back to it later, though. We keep coming back to it for a couple of reasons. First, I see a couple of people in the church who are still struggling with it. Mm -hmm. Mostly it's people who have heard it and are worried. I had a guy ask on uh, a subreddit, I think it was the Christianity subreddit, mm -hmm. ask if playing D&D offended God, which is a strange way to phrase it, but I'm not coming from an evangelical background. Right. It seemed odd and alien to me, but that's really just a matter of the theology I have been raised with. Uh, so, you know, there is some of that still out there in the church, but I feel like it's kind of leftover echoes. Mm -hmm. And as much as anything, I think Peter and I both wanted to just get it done and out of the way so we didn't have to come back to it again. That makes sense. <laughs> Which only ha gave us a certain measure of success because we have indeed come back to it again. Well, we came back to it again in part because that first episode was terrible in terms of audio quality. It sounds uh, Yeah, awful. and our nerves level. I mean, oh, goodness, yes. you could tell that we were people who had never podcasted before in so yeah. many ways by listening uh, to that. It's really bad. They're nervous. Their their audio is terrible. They they don't know what editing yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the reasons we revisited it later was to make an episode that was explicitly a resource that somebody who is facing questions about this in the church gotcha. could hand to someone and say, hey, listen to this. We got another gaming pastor on to talk about some of that stuff. Right. I, I can't even remember which episode that was, but it had um, uh, the Mad Cleric on it. Jason D. Wood? Jason D. Wood. There we go. Reverend, Reverend Wood. That's who it was. I, I guess I feel like now, and, and maybe it's just kind of a matter of what is popular at the time or whatnot, but I, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, video games have really taken over most of the the scapegoat role that a lot of RPGs held. I, I'm not saying that RPGs don't still have that for some folk, but mm -hmm. it just kind of seems like the folks, I, I feel like the people who are looking for something in culture to point at and say that, that right there, that's the thing that is making the world awful. That's the thing that's offending God. That's the thing that's causing all this issue. Get it. Get it now. You know, I, I feel like in the 80s, we we did have some of that with, you know, obviously we had some of that with, with the RPGs and such, but I kind of feel like now people are, are looking for other things to attack. I feel like it always has to be a moving target. Yeah. Or otherwise that message loses its potency. It's true. It it's seems very true. like it's always something to do with geek culture too, which is kind of sad. I don't even know that that's true. I think it's always something that isn't mainstream. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Because I was going to yeah. say, when was the last time you heard complaints about football from a religious perspective? Right, but again, I, I think it's the fact that football is mainstream. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've got a point there. Every once in a while, you'll hear someone kind of do a, a wry sermon on, look at our idolatry and how much we pay attention to football, but then it, it never really sticks and it's never got the same intensity and it, it never mm -hmm. seems like it's as serious either you know it's like oh this is this is something benign that is a perfect example of how our priorities can get screwed up and it's like well okay but that's that's, yeah, that's not the probably... same as saying if you attend football games you're going to hell right <laughs> <laughs> i'm really tempted right there to make a comment about well maybe if you're a niners fan but um, <laughs> well come on but I, I it's a low blow and it's it's too easy for me to do it. I haven't so. followed sports in a long time, but I'm pretty sure Niners fans don't deserve that. They're suffering enough. That's true. Ooh, well said. Actually, I, I, I can't joke too much because my father-in-law is a, is a big Niners fan, and I, I do feel badly for him right now. Right. Yeah, I, I used to be a big sports fan, and I've just I've lost touch with that because I'm doing other things. And oh, yeah. Honestly, I kind of follow a lot of esports stuff now instead because... It's easier. I look at sports the same way I look at Lithuanian politics. I know it's important to somebody, but I don't know them. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and that's probably the wisest course of action, but there we are. Um, There's actually, if, if, if you ever want for another podcast topic, one of the things I have become fascinated with lately as a pastor has been um, looking at, in, in terms of sports, looking at the idea of team building and how you... Um, how you focus on the collective skill set of of the group, how you 
how you find untapped resources, how you approach that, and uh, and parallels between that and how you go about um, revitalizing a older, uh, shrinking uh, church. Hmm. Um, and I've, I've found it very useful because uh, that's the kind of ministry that I'm in. Um, and so, anywho, that has nothing to do with the topic we're on, but... No, but still fascinating. I actually yeah. have a video I might send you that you might find interesting. Cool. But to pull it back a little bit <laughs> towards the, what yeah, we were yeah, originally yeah. talking yeah. about, you know, I, I think that scapegoating thing had a huge effect because it, it was very personal, right? It's these people mm-hmm. are problems. And one of the, the problems that we've talked about uh, and that the Christian Gamers Guild actually makes a big deal of, I know, is that that 80s drive to say, oh, you know, Christians shouldn't play D&D basically meant that a lot of Christians left the gaming table. And when issues came up, there weren't any Christians at the gaming table to provide a Christian perspective, to to witness. Because you can't witness if you're not there talking to people. Well, that's true. I, I think it hurt the church, and I think it hurt a lot of gaming. I, I think it hurt a lot of gamers. And I think you were, even though that was a, whatever the verbal equivalent of a typo is, I think you had it right there. It hurt a lot of gaming. I mean, the the lack of a major ideological, cultural, you know, faith touchstone at gaming tables all over the United States and probably to a lesser extent other countries, that's a huge loss for a subculture like gaming. I liked it when you said gamers because I actually think that's a good example of where, I mean, I think you're both, I think both ways are correct. Like it, my first thought is it's one of those great examples of how the more you minimize the diversity present in the conversation, the quicker you are going to wind up with kind of a a monolithic, uh, one-sided point of view that just is like, hey, this is truth, let's move on, everything's good, um, which is oftentimes not helpful when it comes to actual personal growth. That is a much smarter and more eloquent way of saying what I was trying to get to. <laughs> well, and I, and I say this very aware of the irony that I say that as, you know, we're, you know, basically three white guys having this conversation. Right. But, oh, yeah. um, which, you know, but, but that happens. It's not like invalid that we have this conversation. But if we did deliberately or even unintentionally only seek out other folks like us to have these conversations, um, that is where you start running into some serious issues. And I and I kind of think that's one of the things I've noticed personally when it comes to gaming and the church is um, the, the two things I keep running into, it seems like, are gamers who once they find out who I am and you know, what I do, who come out to me as Christians. And mm-hmm. um, and at the same time, the other one is is running into um, gamers who, who think that because they, they look at Dark Dungeons in particular and they go, Oh well, ha, good job crapping all over those stupid Christians. Da 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 da. da. And let me tell you, da 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 da. Don't you hate how they da 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 da? Like, yeah, you know I'm a pastor, right? Like, what what? You know, and then we can get in. We often can actually get into a conversation, but but sometimes it also just immediately shuts down because they're because they just assume, oh well, clearly you're not going to listen to me now, and you're you're just this crazy guy who talks about God. Right. Oh, clearly you must have produce dark dungeons because every word of that is exactly what you believe. You know, one one thing that I think we did want to talk about is to get back to scapegoating just a little bit. It's funny because before we started recording, you, you brought up scapegoating. Yes. And scapegoat theories of atonement. Yes. And that's funny to me because Derek White, who we've had on the show plenty of times. Also who, a great guy. <laughs> fantastic guy. Yeah. We had him on last to talk about scapegoat theories of atonement. Tell me what you were thinking of in terms of this this connection to the kind of the, the scapegoating that the church did. Well, so and I say that you know, let me not say the church that certain churches and voices did. So yeah, talking about scapegoating, um, just just that idea that especially prevalent in certain strains of Christianity, where the source of evil must be someone or something outside the group. The group itself is fine. The group itself is holy and pure and safe and good. Nothing needs to change. Nothing is is amiss. Um, but there needs to be a target. And so find it, destroy it, and then all will be well. And it's and so you know it's that it's that Leviticus sixteen stuff. But I can't help but think about that in relation to the satanic panic, in relation to you know dark dungeons that need to say, here it's this. This is it. We've found it. And now that we've found it, we can destroy it. 
And once we've destroyed it, we're all good until the next thing comes along. And then, oh, it's this. It's this. This is the thing. We destroy it. And then we move on. And it's, I mean, it's a distraction. You know, it's, it's really easy leadership to lead by fear. And really, scapegoating is just all about fear. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's remarkably effective. You know, it's, it's, it's cake. It's, it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of the simplest ways to organize people out there. Um, Nothing mm-hmm. brings people you know, together like a shared enemy. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, and then you, but then you stop and think like, what is the first thing that any messenger of God says when they show up in scripture? Do not be, not be afraid. afraid. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's basically the first words out of their mouth 99% of the time. I've got it on a banner in my office because of that. Um, we talk about it around here all the time because my, my, the short version is my congregation. We, we sold our old building of 70 odd years and we moved this past year. And so it was a very, and, and frankly, we did it because we financially were just, we needed to do it, but it also has allowed us to do some really cool new ministry, but there was a lot of fear around that. And so talking about that fear and owning that fear, but, but also learning how to not be controlled by that fear was a really important part of our last couple of years together. But I just, I see so many, you know, so many churches or so many even whole branches of, of the larger church that, that just keep coming back to the idea of fear. And then from there into scapegoating, because it's, you know, fear is easy and then it needs a target. Yeah. I, let me say this. Um, and I, I don't know that I've talked about this much on the podcast, so let me go ahead and do that now. I certainly have not always been a Christian. I I grew up in the church, but that doesn't mean I was particularly committed to it. Totally. For a very long time, especially in middle school and high school, even while I was going to church, I really resented a lot of the Christians I interacted with on a regular basis. And some of that is because of... I'm a little hesitant to call anything out in particular. But I, I've always been a geek, you know. I didn't really start doing tabletop gaming until college. But I remember, I remember I got in trouble in fifth grade because I completely missed recess. The teacher left me in the classroom while everyone else went out to recess because I didn't notice the class leave. Because <laughs> instead of paying attention, I was reading The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Now, how old were you when this happened? I was fifth grade, so like 10. So you were reading Lord of the Rings roughly seven years early? Uh, No. No, I was reading it at exactly the right time for the third time. Look, I was a nerd, and I read really well. (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason I have eight bookshelves behind me, okay? That's all I'm saying. (laughs) But, you know, I, I got a lot of flack from that for from other kids around me, and... The stuff that I kept hearing in the news and in culture around me, I mean, just to give you some context, I am literally a left turn, a right turn, and a few miles from Bob Jones University. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Which, for those who don't know, is a very fundamentalist college that often gets political, at least locally. And what's funny to me is... I drive, I drive past it every day on my way to and from work, and once every couple of months, there are people outside protesting the university for not being conservative enough and fundamentalist enough. <laughs> and, and, you know, they're, they are extremely conservative. Now, the point is, I, I really always kind of resented that, and it's taken me a long time and a lot of, I'm going to say, growth in faith. But I, I hesitate to say that I'm per, I, I've grown significantly. It's just I think I've finally gotten a little bit of compassion and I understand where they're coming from. Like I understand that this is an honest reaction and it's not just something evil. But as somebody who wasn't particularly invested in my faith at the time, it just felt like, oh, well, why are you guys hating on me so much? Mm-hmm. You know, this was before I did anything with gaming. It was just I don't feel welcome. I don't feel like I can and should be one of you. And there are a lot of people who've only really had interactions like that, I think. I wrote a whole blog post about this recently, so this is kind of in the front of my mind. But I, I wonder how much of that is, is scapegoating and how much of it is the spiritual imposter syndrome that I wrote about a little while ago, 
where people are just kind of scared and think that if they can, you know, do something to be like extra pure or something that maybe that will help in some way. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that earlier this week, in part because of your blog post. It's like that guy, you know, I was telling you about who posted on Reddit. He's afraid of offending God, not trying to grow in his faith, not trying to get closer to God. He's afraid of offending God. Right. And it's it's hard to get close to God if you're if you don't want to get too close, because then you might be within striking distance. Well, and it seems like he's missing the point of the Gospels. Well, yeah. And, and yeah, like that's so I uh, I just want to give someone like that a hug. Like it's that, just and that's the thing. Like it, it's, it's not like I'm, I'm angry at him. It's like, dude, I'm sorry. Come here. Let's talk about. This. Yeah. Like yeah. I just I, I, I can't deny that I, I grew up. You know, I grew up Lutheran, and so it's it's definitely been in my bones forever. And at the same time, I don't think I really understood what it meant for me until much, much later. But is that little saying of, of Luther's about um, simultaneously saint and sinner, you know, that that's kind of the nature of a Christian, that we are... I, I, I am. I am still a sinner. That, that has not mm-hmm. changed. Um, I'm loved by God. I'm forgiven. I'm, you know, redeemed, etc. But it's not as if it's somehow not still a part of me. And so that idea of trying to trying to reach that kind of state of perfection or something is just very it's very foreign to me. I, I don't know I don't know how to think that way. Right. Well, I, I'm coming at it from a Presbyterian perspective, so I've got John Calvin rattling around in there somewhere. That idea of original sin, where no matter how much we try, we can't get there ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, and even in the the Wesleyan tradition that I'm from, <laughs> I think at least a lot of us feel like. It's a worthy goal, and you can keep getting closer to it, but you're not really going to get there this side of heaven. Right. Well, and, and your reference to original sin, like, I then start thinking about how, it, it, you know, to me, and again, betraying roots here, but uh, to me, original sin is really about it's the self turned inward. It's, it's basically selfishness or self-preoccupation, which is hilarious then when you have someone who is that focused on trying to reach that state of perfection, because how selfish is that? in a sense, to be that focused on our own personal merit as opposed to, am I actually bettering the creation around me? Am I actually contributing to my neighbor? Am I actually, you know, doing the stuff, you know, what does Jesus say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you and know that I am with you to the end of the age. And then it's, well, what does he actually command in Matthew? Uh, love the Lord your God with your heart, you know, soul and, and mind, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, like, somehow we then turn that into, okay, make sure you don't p- off God. And that's, to, to bring it back around to the gaming table, that's why I want to sit down at gaming tables with other people. Mm-hmm. It's one of the, the big things that we stress on saving the game. It's good for Christians to spend time in Christian fellowship, right? Absolutely. But it is also really important for us to be out with other people who aren't Christian. Mm -hmm. And gaming tables are a great place for that. You know, I think it's totally fine to have a gaming table that's all Christians. We've talked to several people who game as a church activity. Yeah, we had a group in seminary. Yeah, and that's awesome. James White was talking about uh, his group, where it was a a lot of people who were in seminary and things like that. (laughs) Or Shannon's church group. Right. Yes, or Kyle Rudges. I mean, we've had all yeah. these people on who talk about this stuff, and it's really cool. But at, at the same time, it's like what I said before. You can't witness to people if you're not there to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And like what you were describing at the start of this episode, you know, where something happened and you were there to provide pastoral care, sometimes you need to be there for those people and say, hey, let's talk about that and, and explain the hope that we have as Christians in these dark times. Yeah. Well, that, that story I told you about the, the, the gentleman who died on the shoot, when John died on the shoot, and, you know, the fallout from that, I didn't, I didn't tell you one of the other things that happened after the service, because we did a service for him. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, put, I put one together that day, and that night we did a, a small memorial for him, and, and one of his best friends was there as part of the, the crew, and he came up to me later, and he told me, you know, I have not been in a church in, this guy is, you know, tattooed, bearded, gray, gray-haired, night reenactor dude, you know, gets up in full armor and beats on people with swords and, you know, oh, yeah. drives a big old Harley and just a 
yeah. And uh, and he goes, you know, I uh, I've not been in a church in probably forty years, and I consider myself to be an atheist, but I want you to know that God was here today. Hmm. And hmm. thank you. And then he just and then he just left, and I was just like, I don't know what to say to that. I, um, you know, felt really yeah. good to hear. So here, I won't deny, but yeah, like it. I mean, that kind of witness or interaction can only happen outside the circle, so to speak. You know, right? Yeah, you don't. You, it's very hard to witness behind the closed doors of a church. Mm-hmm. And if you stay in the bubble, you're gonna eventually just all suffocate in there. And I think that's kind of what I want to close on because we've been going for a while <laughs> and I think, I think we think could probably go much longer too. Yeah, we so probably we could, but I'm afraid we'd start repeating ourselves at some point. <laughs> yeah. Listen, Chris, thank you for joining us. This has been, yeah, it's been an a absolute very pleasure. good conversation. Oh, very good. Honest. I, it was a lot of fun. I'm really honored. I got to hang out with you guys. So thank you. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for, you've done us a, a great service by joining us tonight. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, real quick, where can people find Zombie Orpheus Entertainment, uh, find out more about what you guys do, some of your projects, that sort of thing? So, you can find uh, Zoe is very active on Facebook at facebook.com slash zombieorpheus. Uh, Orpheus is spelled O-R-P-H-E-U-S. And if you need to know how to spell zombie, then I don't know what to do, because um, we're all <laughs> geeks and we should know that. So, um, that was judgmental. I'm sorry. Z-O-M-B-I-E. <laughs> So anyhow, uh, <laughs> you're doing it for the international audience, if nothing else. Correct. Yeah. So Z Z O M B I E O R P H E U S, and if you look up Zombie Orpheus almost anywhere, uh, YouTube, Twitter, um, and I heard you say uh, I don't even remember what you said earlier. I I say Patreon because it reminds me of like the patronage system, and so mm-hmm. I I always pronounce it Patreon.com, but I think you did Pat Patreon. Whatever. I I've always however, said Patreon. However you say it. We are also on that website. You can find all of our stuff uh, through YouTube. Uh, you can find our stuff available for purchase through Paizo. And um, we have a, a really long-standing good partnership with them. And uh, we will be also at Gen Con um, in booth 100. Oh, very nice. So, yeah, if you're at Gen Con, you lucky person you, mm. yeah, definitely stop by booth 100 and check them out. And, you know, also find... Uh, I don't know, any of our friends there. I'm pretty sure Christian Gamers Guild will have some presence there. So check that out. Awesome. And I will, of course, link as much of that as I can in the show notes as well. Chris, thank you again. Yeah, absolutely. This has been awesome. All right. Well, from all of us here at Saving the Game, we're going to wrap it up here. Have a good one, folks. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, non-derivative license, so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.